In last week's episode of Insight Weekly, Max, our senior regional analyst for the Middle East and Asia, uh, spoke about a current political divide within the Afghan government uh, and the resumption of fighting between the security forces and the Taliban. Today, we're going to actually flesh that out a little bit further um, and go into additional details surrounding the current situation in Afghanistan. So, Max, to start us off, would you like to perhaps give us an overview of what's currently going on in the country? Yeah, so I think the easiest way to do that is just to show you our incident map of Afghanistan and just show, um, uh, just show, basically talk you through the incidents that we're seeing on the screen right now and what this means and for the overall security. So on the map right now, we can see a certain cluster of yellow markers and orange markers and a few purple ones. And the yellow and orange markers are the important ones here. So yellow are generally the skirmish related incidents. So normally Taliban attacking security forces positions. And orange are IEDs. So um, what we can see straight away then is a cluster of incidents all across the country, particularly with, with uh, certain areas seeing much less than others. So we can see these central provinces that my mouse is hovering over now. We do see less incidents here, although occasionally they do flare up. Uh, this is a lot of, there's a few reasons for this. They're very sparsely populated, and where there's no population, there's very rarely any there's going to be fighting nearby. And uh, also there's there's more levels of government control here. So that explains this small gap here. But elsewhere in the country, such as up here near Mazari Sharif, near Kunduz city here, in the east of the country and down here in Helmand and Kandahar, we can see there's been huge amounts of fighting. And what this says about the average level, the general security in Afghanistan is that the Afghan Taliban are still an incredibly strong force. And from this map, we can see that they're carrying out attacks against security forces positions and vice versa. Uh, almost uh, every every single day, we record multiple incidents of, of firefights and, and IEDs every single day in the country. So it's still a very violent place and it's still a very volatile, hostile conflict. So as we've um, seen in the news, Max, peace talks have been taking place between the US, the Taliban and the Afghan government. Has there been any progress so far with these peace talks? Uh, yes and no. So... With the the fact that they're even approaching peace talks at all is, in some respects, progress because the US and NATO allies have been in Afghanistan since 2001 and there haven't really been any major political or diplomatic overtures between the two sides since then. So this marks uh, essentially the first real diplomatic progress after nearly two decades of fighting. So yes, so in that respect, that is progress. And the progress, this sort of manifested itself in the form of a seven-day reduction in violence period and this took place in February. And the reduction in violence period was an agreement between the Taliban and the US and the Afghan government in which both sides reduce, uh, agreed to significantly reduce the levels of fighting that they're responsible for. So the US didn't carry out any airstrikes in this period and the Taliban almost entirely um, cut down on the number of attacks against security forces and population centers. There was a few isolated attacks here and there. But generally, these are very small and just minor skirmishes in the grand scheme of things. So this reduction in violence period was was huge. It was a step in the right direction and was without a doubt somewhat successful. But at the same time, there have been there have been some failures. So the reduction in violence period has did break down almost immediately. Uh, the catalyst for this breakdown does seem to have been a dispute over the release of Taliban prisoners from Afghan government jails. And actually, as we speak, this this dispute is still going on and they're negotiating whether or not to release the prisoners right now. So that really brings, brings me on to say that these peace talks are still ongoing. So it's hard to define them as a failure or a success just yet in that as they are still going on. So 
they, they could still bring out more results. Yeah, yeah. So kind of varying success there. But in your opinion, do you believe that the peace talks have kind of potential for long term success? Or do you think we'll kind of continue um, as we have been with the peace talks in terms of having small successes, but as well as kind of failures alongside those? Yeah, that's um, it's quite a, a difficult question. So um, short answer, I do think they will be successful in the long term. And I do think they have potential to really bring about change. But I'd like to hear just highlight some of the obstacles that stand in the way of the peace talks right now. And the first of those is really significant and has really actually slipped under the radar a little bit, despite this being such a major incident, is that um, the split between Ashraf Ghani, the Afghan president, and uh, Abdullah Abdullah, a major opposition politician in the Afghan parliament. So this split really has the potential to jeopardize future peace talks because this split in the Afghan government really weakens the Afghan government's hands in talks with the Afghan Taliban. So essentially, if the, if the Afghan ta- government can't get its affairs in order, then it's going to really struggle to, to approach talks with the Taliban from a position of strength. Worth noting here that the Taliban are already approaching talks with the government from a position of strength. And that all these attacks that you can see on the map right now, particularly down here in Helmand and Kandahar, and as we said earlier, up here around Mazari, Sharif and Kunduz, Nearly all of these attacks are initiated by the Taliban. So it's, the Taliban are far from on the back foot. They're carrying out these attacks almost at whim in areas where they have significant uh, influence. So this split within the Afghan government just at, com- further compounds problems that the government is facing going into any future peace talks. And I do think that the both sides are going to really struggle to come to an agreement here as uh, the government struggles to deal with its own issues. And... Um, Furthermore, like it, there's there's some other changes that could possibly come with this as well. So some people have speculated that perhaps the outbreak of uh, uh, the outbreak of fighting really has sort of brought in the end of the peace talks completely. And some people have basically said, look, the the fact that the Taliban are not even trying to hide these attacks and the fact that they're carrying out such massive attacks says all you really need to know about their attitude towards these talks. And some people are saying that. The, the fact that the Taliban are attacking so regularly means that they, they simply don't care about the peace talks. They're, going, they're willing to keep fighting no matter what. And I think this is partly true, but it's also worth noting one of the Taliban's biggest strengths in these talks is the fact that they are a military strength to be, to be reckoned with within Afghanistan. So by doing, carrying out these attacks, what they're essentially doing, I think, is, is trying to show negotiators that, you know, we have strength here. Ignore us at your own peril. So yeah, the, so this, this split within the government and this ongoing um, show of force, I guess, by the Taliban across the country, two factors that could really jeopardize potential peace talks. But I do think that the, this it's been two decades of war now. I think there's a very significant level of war in, weariness in the country that will really power these talks along. Brilliant. Thank you, Max. Um, We can't quite ignore what's going on globally at the moment. So can you give us a a summary of kind of the impact of of COVID-19 and what that's expected to have um, on this situation? Yeah, so COVID-19 spread into Afghanistan. uh, It's believed to have spread from Iran. So and it's the outbreak largely centered around the western province of Herat uh, over here on the, the screen now. And from there, people have travelled uh, elsewhere in the country. and We've seen outbreaks uh, across across Afghanistan now, but still largely centering out around this western region. So the disease has reached Afghanistan, and to many people's fears as well, because the health, uh, the medical sector in Afghanistan is already struggling as it is. 
It's got to contend with large amounts of casualties from the fighting, huge amounts of civilian casualties from uh, the IEDs that we can see constantly being found and going off around the country, particularly around here in the east, actually, as well as um, other diseases such as polio, which still exist in Afghanistan, especially in rural areas, as well as in the border region of Pakistan. So the healthcare is already overstretched. So the arrival of this of this uh, global uh, pandemic have really has has the potential to really stretch the healthcare services even further. Uh, Afghanistan has been somewhat fortunate so far in that the outbreak's been quite quite limited, but it it seems safe to say that it's only a matter of time until we see a bigger outbreak. Interesting on a bit of a tangent actually, that some people have speculated actually that the the outbreak could have an impact on the relationship between the Taliban and the government as well. And this is quite interesting because it's, it's speculative, but still worth worth talking about. Um, so essentially, some people feel that the the outbreak may force the government and the Taliban to work together to uh, try and combat the, the the spread of the virus. Uh, this, could, this is possible. You know, the Taliban are quite aware of the way that they come across. In fact, they've released a statement saying that they work, they won't attack health workers who are dealing with the COVID nineteen outbreak. But at the same time, we've seen in the past that the Taliban have. Um, They've not really funded uh, education, for example, in Taliban-controlled areas. And instead, they've simply allowed the Afghan government to, or they force the Afghan government essentially to pay for it and pay the salaries of teachers who are working and living in Taliban-controlled areas. So in other words, they haven't worked together in the realm of education before. So I don't personally see any reason why they're going to work together at a tactical level, you know, a local level to help uh, combat the spread of COVID-19 either. So it could be a bit optimistic, but it's not impossible that they would. It's just an interesting fact to keep an eye on. Thank you very much, Max. That was a really uh, interesting analysis into into the current situation in Afghanistan. Uh, and I think it goes to show that kind of amongst the, the COVID-19 global crisis, uh, the team at Intelligence Fusion are continuing to monitor and report on other evolving political situations and global security threats that might be uh, perhaps slipping under the radar during this unprecedented pandemic. Um, if there is anything that we can help with uh, with regards to coronavirus or kind of the global security landscape as um, a whole, then um, please don't hesitate to get in touch with the team. Thank you very much for listening.